It's true, Lord. It's, it has been all of us who, like sheep, went astray. But, Father, you laid upon the back of your Son and upon his body the guilt of all of us. Thank you for that great payment. Thank you that it is finished. Thank you that human beings can now be reconciled to you through the work of the cross. And now we pray, Lord, that you would open your word to our hearts by the Spirit of God. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, good morning. Well, I don't know about you, I rate the kids' program this morning at about a 9.8 on the cuteness scale, maybe 9.9, pretty good. I look a little Noah Yorkman, and I just get thrilled. I just, I think about that kid, he is just completely enveloped in the moment. It's just, it's the definition of pure, unbridled joy, isn't it? And I told Bill when they went down to Disneyland, I would love to be at the gate of Disneyland when that family walks into Disneyland and just watch Noah put a camera on him. Must be quite a scene. You know, and then I think, that's what it's going to be like for us as we watch each other get into heaven. What an incredible scene that's going to be, the unbridled joy that's going to be on our faces. Amen? Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, the message of the, uh, is entitled this morning, A New Suit of Clothes. Reading this morning, beginning in verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Last week we saw that concerning the conduct of our old man, we're to put off that conduct and we're to put on the new man which is created according to Jesus Christ, according to righteousness and true holiness. And so the analogy is putting off old, dirty clothes in order to put on new, clean, and appropriate ones. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been embarrassed by what you were wearing. I remember one time I was embarrassed by what I was wearing. I had been invited to a wedding it was a family in the church, and it was a big gala affair, and, and so I attended as a guest, and I'd forgotten that they had asked me that I was going to do a little presentation during the toast and speak a little bit and pray for the meal. And so I wore pretty much what I'm wearing right now. Appropriate for a wedding is a guest sitting in the back row, but 
not appropriate for what I was doing because you see the groom and his father and all the wet, they were decked out. Tuxes, tails, the whole thing. And they invited me up to give my little spiel. I felt very, very self-conscious. I wanted to get that done real quick, go back and sit down, eat a bite or two, and then leave the premises. I was not dressed appropriately. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ and, the God, and God the Father saw how we were dressed. We were dressed in Adam. And he said, that's not going to make it. That's not good. That's not good for the glory that I have for them. I'm going to give them a whole new suit of clothes. I'm going to clothe them with a person. And the person with which I'm going to clothe them is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to wear him. And when wearing him, they're going to be able to reflect the appropriateness of the moment living within the kingdom of God. I want you to notice back in verse 24, this phrase once again, that you put on the new man, notice, which was created according to God in righteousness and in true holiness. What person in history resembles that description? The answer is only one. There's only one person in history that fully represents that description, an individual who was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. That's Jesus. Jesus was created exactly according to God in righteousness and in true holiness, and where to put him on. And so let's think about Jesus for a minute. Think about how compassionate he was. There he was on the east side of the Jordan River. The multitudes had gathered, 4,000 men, not counting women and children. They had nothing to eat. All they had were seven loaves and a few small fish. But he had compassion upon them. And what he did was he fed them because of his compassion. They'd been continuing with him for three days. They had eaten nothing, and it was time for him to feed them. He's compassionate. There's another occasion when he was on the way to Jerusalem from Jericho. And there were two blind men on the side of the road. And they were crying out, Have mercy on us, O son of David. And they cried out pretty loudly, apparently, because the crowd kept telling them to hush up. Stop it. Quit being so loud. You're being a distraction. But they cried out even more loudly and even more fervently. And the Lord Jesus came to them because he had compassion on them. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, that our eyes might be opened. And he immediately healed them because of his great feeling for people and his great love for people. There was another occasion when a leper came to Jesus and begged Jesus to make him clean. And he said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. But he was moved with compassion for him. And he said, be cleansed. You think of Jesus and his compassion. You think about his teaching, his powerful, authoritative teaching. And then we think of the work that he did to accomplish our salvation. Going to the cross, an innocent man who had never committed any sins at all. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet he suffered on a Roman cross horribly, hanging there for six hours, paying for our sins, and bleeding his blood in order that we might be cleansed. And then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, and then he was exalted in his position at the right hand of the Father. Now think about that Jesus. 
the new man created by God himself in righteousness and in true holiness. And then remember this, this same Jesus, the compassionate, authoritative, crucified, risen, ascended, and exalted Jesus, if you are a true believer, lives in you. That's the new man. Christ in you, that's the new man. Christ in me, that's the new man. And that's what it means really to live the Christian life, is for Christ to live his life in me. As Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You may have heard me use this illustration before. I'm not a great tennis player. In fact, it's been a long time since I've even been out there, never taken a lesson. Now, what if I were to play tennis against Andy Roddick? Andy Roddick has, for a long time, been considered the best, if not one of the best, American tennis players. If I were to play a match against Andy Roddick, I can tell you pretty much how the match would go. It would be his serve, and then he would serve, and I would say, when are you going to serve? Because I didn't see that last one. <laughs> I might be able to swing the racket, but it would be way late, and I doubt that I'd even get my racket on the ball. It would be a quick game. It would be a quit set. It would be a quick match. But there is somebody that can beat Andy Roddick and has beaten him regularly. His name, Roger Federer, who's still at the top of the list of great tennis players in the world. Roger Federer eats Andy Roddick for lunch on the tennis court, and he doesn't have any success against him at all. Now, if somehow Roger Federer could play in me, I could beat Andy Roddick. I could. So I figured out a way to do it. I've got this little zipper here. And I just unzip myself at the back, and I open myself up, and I say, Roger, climb on in. So Roger picks up one foot, and he, and then the other one, and then, and pretty soon, I've got Roger Federer in me. Now, as long as I let Roger do the playing, as long as I let him set the strategy, as long as I let him make the movements, and as long as I let him use his skill, Andy Roddick doesn't have a chance, because Roger in me is my hope of glory. <laughs> Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, Jesus actually lives within the believer. And really, as you look at it, the only person who ever really has lived the Christian life with 100% success, with no failure, no lapses, no struggles, no doubts, no faltering, no wavering, no staggering, is the Lord Jesus himself. And he in us enables us to do the same, as long as we let him do his work. And that's why we're told to put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and put on the new man, 
created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on Christ. Put off the behavior of the old. Put on Jesus himself in us. Put on the new nature that he's created. Put on Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as he lives in me and as I live in him, I find myself being able to actually live out this Christian life. Now, are there any examples of what this putting off and putting on actually looks like? And the answer is yes. The examples of the putting off the behavior of the old man and the putting on the nature of the new man are given us right here in our text. Each one of these is an example of what it looks like. And so if you look at the text again, we put away lying. That is a behavior associated with the old man. But we put on truth. Truthfulness is consistent with the new man. We put away sinful anger. We put on righteous anger that it will help us do God's will, etc. It goes all the way down. These are the examples. Put off the behavior of the old. Put on the new nature given to us in Christ. So putting away lying, verse 25. This is part of putting off the conduct of the old man. Problem is that even Christians lie way too much. And deceit is really too common among us. A Christian will say, I'll be there at blank o'clock, but then doesn't show. And doesn't offer an apology. A Christian says, I'll do such and such, but then doesn't do any of what he or she has said. The believer can say, I surrender all. But then not even pray about whether to buy that new car or not. How is there uh, any surrender in that? The believer can pretend that everything is all, always good when someone says, how are you? The believer can exaggerate accomplishments and minimize faults. The believer can do all of these things and fulfill what David said about all men. I said in my haste, all men are liars. And we can be just like that. Just give marriage counseling a try every once in a while. And see what I mean. Not every couple is like this. I've been blessed with many couples that actually come in wanting to hear what God wants to say to them. But all too often, you get the call from the man or the woman. It's the first call. And they pour out all of the problems that their spouse has and all of the issues with the spouse. And you just sort of have to let it sit there. Because the Bible says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. I haven't heard the whole matter. And then you listen to the other spouse. And then that other spouse lays out the tale concerning his spouse or her spouse. And sometimes I've wondered, are these two people even married to each other? The stories are so completely different. You have to get them together in the same room and sort it all out. What is that? It's lying. It's intentional exaggeration of strengths. It's a minimizing of weaknesses. And so instead of lying, 
We're to put off the behavior of the old man lying. Instead, we're to speak truth with our neighbor. Which neighbor is being talked about here? We're to speak truth with our neighbor. Look at the rest of the sentence. For we are members of one another. It's speaking about fellow believers in Christ. We're to speak truth with each other. We're to be honest with each other, real with each other, authentic with each other. It's very important. Be willing to tell the truth. Just a commitment to tell the truth is huge. Imagine the foot lying to the eye or the hand lying to the ear. So why would I lie to another member of the body of Christ or be dishonest or exaggerate? Remember Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit as they lied to Peter about their offering. And you know what happened to them. If I hear something about another believer and then repeat it to someone else, I may be spreading a lie. Because what I've heard about another believer may not be true and probably isn't true. At least completely. And at the very least, even if it was true, I'm spreading slander or gossip and I'm not to do that. So put off the behavior of the old man lying and put on the new man, which is truthfulness. It's a beautiful thing when someone says, I'll be there, and then is. Or I'll do that, and then does. Or when asked, how are you doing? Well, it's been a real challenge. Can you pray for me? It's really refreshing when that's the approach to the Christian life, and that's what we're told to do. The next example Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor to give place to the devil. This is a quotation from Psalm 4.4, which says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate with your heart on your bed and be still. So the quotation from uh, which this verse comes is is a concept of be angry, don't sin, be calm in the Lord. Meditate on your own bed, in your heart, and be still. Be calm. In other words, don't allow anger to agitate you and create behavior that becomes sinful. Now, certain kinds of anger are necessary and important. Very powerful motivation, anger is. Fear is a very powerful motivation. Love is a very powerful motivation. But so is angry, anger. And as such, there are things about which we should be angry. Martin Luther King Jr. was angry at the racial inequality and injustice directed toward the black people in the Deep South. So what did he do? He used that anger to lead peaceful, nonviolent protests. He shut down the city of Montgomery in 1955 when they boycotted the entire bus system. And what did that cause? That caused the Caucasian population in that town to take notice. We have the example of Jesus. He was angry at the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, Matthew 23. He was angry at the hardness of their hearts when Jesus was about to heal the man with a withered hand. He was angry that his father's house had been turned into a den of thieves by the religious leaders of his day, John 2, Matthew 21. But in each of these cases, the anger was not self-oriented. It wasn't anger about things that had happened to him. 
It wasn't anger concerning some selfish motivation. It wasn't a self-defensive kind of an anger. It wasn't self-oriented at all. It wasn't personal. And that tells us something about righteous anger. It can't be selfish or self-oriented, and it can't be personal. Righteous anger isn't against individuals. It's against evil that exists as a principle. And so be angry and do not sin. Use that anger against sin and against injustice and against these other things to motivate you and me toward righteous behavior, but don't use it to defend your own personal interests. And then it tells us, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't harbor anger toward others. Harboring anger toward others is like injecting snake venom into your system. Eventually it will take over the whole system and you will be seized up and eventually you will die. Do not harbor anger. Let not your son go down, or the son go down upon your wrath. Forgive, forget, let over, get over it. Be angry and not sin. Put off the behavior the old man put on the new. The next one is the example of stealing. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So we go from stealing, which is the behavior of the old man, to the behavior of the new man, honest work for generous sharing. Now the Ten Commandments includes the commandment, you shall not steal. We understand that. So we're not to steal. We're not to steal from the government at tax time. We're not to steal from our employer regarding our use of time or the use of his time or the use of his supplies. We're not to steal from anyone at any time anything. Let him who stole steal no longer. Instead of stealing, instead of doing that behavior, we're to labor. Working with our hands or perhaps in some cases with our minds and faculties, labor working that which is good in order that we may have something to give to him who has need. So here is the motivation for biblical work. Others. That's the motivation. And if I'm a man, the others is my family, first and foremost. And it's the Lord and my generous giving to him. And then it's others, as I can give to them. I'm to work with my hands or with my mind or with my heart that which is good in order that I might have something to give to those that have need. Now it's obvious that many bona fide ministries are struggling financially. And one of the main reasons is believers are either hoarding their possessions or finances are working only hard enough to meet their own needs. If I work only hard enough to meet my own needs, I am sinning against the Lord. Because then I don't have anything to give to the one who has need. Moody said, earn all that you can, Save all that you can and give all that you can. That's a great philosophy. But the person who doesn't earn all that he or she can 
is in violation of what God says here concerning the behavior of the new man. Now, I know that there are people all over the country, even believers, who are struggling financially, who are out of work, and we need to be praying for one another and helping one another in all of these areas. I know that's happening here. But let me just say this. If you are one of those, before praying for your daily bread, and before you pray for God's provision for you or your family, get your heart right regarding work, get your heart right regarding giving, and get your heart right regarding God's kingdom. Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. We've got to make it a matter of the priority of the heart. That has to be first. And that's how the new man behaves. The next example is verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This corrupt word or this corrupt communication literally is rotten communication, putrid like fruit or like fish that have gone bad, according to Robertson's word studies. I remember I had an assistant pastor who, invite, who uh, borrowed the church van one time, but he had borrowed it right after I had used it. What had I been doing with the church van? It was this hollow Ford Econoline type thing. There was no... It was just seats and, and a metal shell. Well, I had been fishing down at Carmel, and I caught a lot of fish. And then I cleaned the fish outside of my house, out by my garbage cans. And, and then I put the fish guts and everything in a big plastic bag, and I put them in the back of the van. And, and Steve wanted to borrow the van. I said, okay, Steve, you've got to borrow the but you've got to get to the dump very quick. Well, it was a real hot day in Monterey, and he decided he needed to stop by his office there in Monterey on Alvarado Street, and he did. He stopped by, and he got detained, and he'd forgotten all about the van, and it was out there for four or five hours. And all those fish guts were fermenting inside of that church van. By the time he got out there and opened up the car, or opened up the van door, it was... Well, I won't tell you what happened to him on the way to the dump. (laughs) And that's what this corrupt communication is, literally, like rotten fish that have gone bad. That's what it seems like to the Lord, and it ought to seem that way to us. Now, this passage is a way, uh, let let me change that, it's the way to measure our words before we say them. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification, that it might minister grace to the hearers. So here's the way to measure my speech. Before I say it, I need to measure it in my mind. There's a novel concept, think before I speak. I need to do a lot more of that, I think. But as I'm thinking before I speak, I'm analyzing what I'm about to say. Is this going to be corruptive speech that will hurt and destroy someone? Or is this someone, this speech, going to be speech that ministers grace and is going to be helpful to someone? 
If it's not helpful, then it shouldn't be said. Plain and simple. The behavior of the old man, corrupt communication. The behavior and the identity of the new, wholesome, gracious, necessary words to build others up. Now notice the very next verse, verse 30, is, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, notice, can be grieved. Why can he be grieved? Because he is a person. He's a personal being. And so if I use corrupting speech, the Holy Spirit is grieved. These words grieve the Holy Spirit. But I think about the opposite. It's also true. If I use edifying and gracious words, the Holy Spirit is pleased. And the Holy Spirit is blessed by those gracious and edifying words. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom, notice verse 30, you are sealed for the day of redemption. This is wonderful. We may grieve the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit leaves us. It just means that that part of our relationship has pained him somewhat. It's time to confess. I shouldn't have said that, Lord. I was wrong to have said that. I am sorry that I said that. And then to the person that I said it to, I am sorry for having said that. I was wrong. That pleases the Holy Spirit. But when I do grieve the Holy Spirit, and unfortunately I still grieve the Holy Spirit at times, more than I'd want to, I've been sealed with the Spirit of God unto the day of redemption, unto the day when Jesus comes back and gives us new bodies and brings us into heaven. We're sealed unto that day. He doesn't leave us even though we may grieve him. Isn't that good news? You say, well, what about that prayer of Psalm 51? When David confesses his sins and he says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. What about that prayer? Well, that's a prayer that belonged to the old covenant. We are now in the new covenant in Christ. And we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. An entirely new arrangement, an entirely new covenant that prayer of David's was an old covenant prayer, not true of the new covenant believer. Thank God for his grace and patience. Amen. And then verse 31 gives us a whole list of things that we're to put away. Put away these things. These are things that belong to the behavior of the old man. And so the very first one is bitterness. A deep, settled condition within the heart, an attitude that poisons us from within. Bitterness is so horrible. It's interesting. Husbands are commanded in Colossians, the third chapter. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Hebrews tells us that we're not to come short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness within us springs up and causes many to be defiled. Bitterness is allowed to grow because we failed to appropriate and receive the grace of God in a given situation. We've refused to allow the grace of God to cover and blanket that situation and change it. 
We think about the offense. We think about the person. We think about the thing that happened to us. And we become offended. And that offense turns inward and it becomes bitterness. And it becomes settled. And pretty soon not only are we a cancer within ourselves, we become a cancer to others. Instead of forgiving instead of releasing, instead of committing, instead of praying for that person in that offense. The only reason bitterness is present is because of a failure to draw upon the grace of God, Hebrews 12, 15. The next one is wrath, means angry passion. The next one is anger, which means chronic angry passion. Just angry person. A person is just a mad, angry person. These things are to be put off as well. The next one is clamor, which is an outcry against some supposed offense against me. We're so quick to defend ourselves, so quick to champion our own cause, aren't we? We think about ourselves way too much. And that's what clamor is. It's an outcry against some supposed offense. And then we're to put away evil speaking with all malice. The Greek word is blasphemia. We get the word blasphemy from it. So we're to put away the kind of speaking against others that has an evil intention to hurt them. There's a lot in that category, isn't there? Slander is in that category. Backbiting is in that category. Uh, category, even repeating something about someone else that has any sort of negative connotation to it. If I can't say something that is true and factual and positive about another person, it's better not to say anything. And if I combine my failure to speak properly with an evil intent, a malicious intent, I'm poisoned. This is why churches split right here. This is why congregations of believers are sliced right down the middle and tremendous pain results because of the wagging tongue with malicious intent. Put that off. Put it all off. But, verse 32, allow these things. Allow these things. These are consistent with the new man. All of these are reflective of Jesus in his nature. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ also forgave you. Kindness. Gracious. Kind. Considerate behavior toward others. So good to be kind to others. Thank, thank you. Being gracious, being sensitive. Tender-hearted means having lots of compassion, means having soft hearts towards others. Being willing to believe the best about others, not hardening my heart, even while driving. (laughs) And then forgiving one another. Notice this phrase, it's all important. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. This is the key to all relationships within the body of Christ. When my son was 13, I can't even remember what happened, 
He's 32 now, going to be 33 in a couple months. But he was getting on my nerves. And I was not happy with him. And that's a mild way to put it. I wanted to wring his neck. So I went outside, and I grabbed the basketball, and I started shooting free throws just to engage myself in something else and pray and get a different perspective on it before I said something stupid or did something stupid. And the Lord spoke to me when I was out there. He said, Bill, do you want me to be as merciful and forgiving toward you as you're being toward your son right now? I said, no, Lord, that's not how I want you to treat me at all. I want you to cut me all kinds of slack. (laughs) I want you to be really patient with me. I value your mercy. I'm so glad that days are in 24-hour segments so that your mercies can be new every morning. I'm so grateful for your forgiveness. These are the thoughts that were going through my mind. And then the next thought, of course, was, then you better treat your son that way, because that's the way I treat you. So important that we realize that our relationship with others is connected with God's relationship with us. So here's the deal. The person sitting next to you being a believer in Jesus Christ, has been declared righteous by God the Father. That person has had all of his or her sins forgiven. And when God the Father looks at that individual sitting next to you who is a believer in Jesus Christ, he does not see that person directly. He sees his son. That person is clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father sees Jesus when he sees that person. That's how he looks at them. So here's the key. If the Father looks at that individual that way, then how should I look at that individual? That way. I should see you, the true believer in Christ, through the lens of Christ as covered by Christ. I should be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving toward you because God in Christ has forgiven me. That's the motivation for it. That's the power behind it as well. The key to all relationships within the body of Christ. Verse 32 is a very powerful and wonderful verse of Scripture that should be memorized by each of us. So, the put-offs and put-ons. We're to put off the behavior conduct of the old man. We're to put off what we used to be in Adam before we trusted Christ. We're to put on the new nature, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're to put off lying and put on truthfulness. We're to put off selfish, sinful anger and put on righteous anger against sin. We're to be putting off stealing and put on honest work so that we can provide for our own needs and bless others as Jesus would. 
We're to put off corrupting speech and put on speech that blesses and builds up others. We're to put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking and in their place put on kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness because that's how God treats us and that's who Jesus is to the core. In other words, we need to live according to the new man We need to live as Jesus lives. But let's not make the mistake of trying to follow Jesus' example without Jesus. Let's not make the mistake of trying to follow Jesus' example without Jesus. We need Jesus to follow Jesus' example. We need Christ and his power in us by the Spirit of God to do what Jesus commands us to do. And if we do, it really creates... A bunch of very beautiful and comely people. Because this is the behavior of the new man. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this mental picture, this image that you've given us of putting off the old clothes of the behavior of the old man and putting on the new clothes of Christ himself. And of course, we fail at this. We're all human beings. One day we can do better than another day, and another day we can do worse than the previous one, and that's the way it is with us. So help us to stay sensitive to you, Lord. Help us to be tuned in to this great need we have to put on Christ, to walk in the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And we also pray this morning for anyone that is among us today that has never personally made a commitment to the Lord Jesus. We pray that those who are not yet true believers, perhaps even having been trusting in their religious affiliation or their denominational commitment or their infant baptism or in their good works, to get to heaven we pray for those individuals that you would speak even now into their hearts to show them their need for Jesus and as we're praying I just want to speak a word real quickly to those of you that may be in that place of you're not yet a believer you've basically not been a true believer in Jesus Christ You never did really ask him or invite him in to be your Savior and your your Lord. Well, you have an opportunity to do that right now. Because God does love you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to pay for your sins and mine. And he cares about you and he cares about me. And he wants to forgive you, but you're going to have to let him. And he wants to change your life, but you're going to have to invite him in. And you can do that by just opening your heart and by saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Give me a new nature and help me to live for you from this day forward. Make me a completely different person. The prayer that you pray can be as simple as that. If you mean it, the Lord will hear it. The Bible says, as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. 
If you receive him and open your heart to him and believe in him that he died for you and that he rose from the dead for you, then your sins will be forgiven. So my question is, is there anyone here this morning that would like to make that commitment right now before we go into communion? You've never received Jesus Christ before. You know you're not a true believer. You know you're not right with God. You know you've been living for yourself. You know you've been trusting in the wrong things, but it's time now to get right with God. It's time now to make a commitment. It's time to say yes to Jesus and what he did for you 2,000 years ago. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to make that commitment? Would you just raise your hand so I can see it and I can have a word of prayer with you right now? Anyone this morning here this wants to now make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord? Anyone? We thank you, Lord, for the invitation that's gone out. We pray that you would use it however you want to. We trust you as you are calling men and women and boys and girls to be reconciled to you through these simple words. We pray that you would use these words for your purposes. Here in this room, online, in future watchings and listenings of this morning's message, we pray that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.